What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler. With me, as always, is my man Curtis on the other end of the line. And today, we'll be talking all things week three as we recap the Sanford game, obviously, and also the goings on elsewhere around the SEC. But first, just a couple quick reminders for all you guys out there. Um, you guys can always follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. We love to interact with you guys and hear from you, so definitely don't be shy. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the season, about the team, about the show. We'd love to hear any and all of that from you guys. You can also hit us up on email at podcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out and interact with us on Facebook on the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. I know we've got a lot of loyal listeners out there, and we appreciate each and every one of you, but we also are getting... Quite a few newer listeners uh, as we get into the season here. So just a heads up to some of you newer guys out there. We appreciate you checking in with us. But you can also uh, find us on a variety of podcasting platforms out there. You can check us out, of course, on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, but also the Stitcher TuneIn apps, and, of course, uh, Dog Sports Radio, where we all got started here a couple of years back. So a couple of options there for you. Hopefully at least one of those will work well for you. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into this, man. But before we actually get into the actual game, I'm curious about your take on games like this against FCS opponents like Sanford was. And I'll be honest. I mean, you know me. And you guys listening, if you listen to the show, you know I live for football season. And while any time I get to walk into Sanford Stadium and watch a game is a sacred moment, a sacred three hours for me, I have to admit, I'm Saturday night, I kind of found myself just going through the motions a little out there. And it kind of pissed me off. I'm um, sure I was loud. Sure, I was cheering and barking like I always am. But the excitement level, I mean, it just wasn't there, especially coming off such an awesome experience like South Bend. So for me, and this is just me, maybe I'm crazy, but I could totally 100% do without these types of games. Kurt, just curious, man, what's your take on that? I mean, I I understand where you're coming from, but the one thing I noticed, especially, you know, as I was walking to the car after the game, the one thing that really struck me is this was our last chance to really give some of these young guys real opportunities. I mean, we had a lot of rotations getting uh, um, Malik Herring, a lot of people, some reps earlier in the game, like in the first half, that we usually don't. And that's the one thing I noticed is that going into SEC play, there's no more giving these guys a chance to learn it and get experience that – when it's SEC play, either you're ready or you're not. We can't try to get you some reps here and there to get you experience. No, we, you have to be ready to go. We can't afford you to you know, have a mental error or a mental mistake because you're not ready in those because that right there can cost us a game in a big-time big time experience. Yeah, and I think, I think you hit on the one argument in favor of playing games like this, at least in my mind. I, there is some value there. I cannot argue with you there. If you want to get some of these young guys some experience – Get them, help them kind of adjust the speed of the game at the college level, even though it's not against an FBS opponent or a Power 5 opponent, but still kind of just get in there, get some experience, and get those jitters out, get the feel for the game, uh, kind of understand what's going on, and just get those reps. It's, it's, that's very, very valuable. But to me, I don't, I don't know if that the value there outweighs what you're losing by playing games like this. And maybe it's well, a I selfish mean, thing for me. The thing, though, is think about it. SEC play, how many times have, has in, anybody – in any conference made it without losing players here and there from injuries. With that being the case, then you have these guys that if they don't know what they're doing and they don't have that experience or something like that from this, these one games that they get, and then they're thrust into the spotlight in an SEC game and we don't know what they can do, what they understand and things like that, then we are screwed. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean, especially I do. running back. I mean, think about that at the time Gurley went – I mean, uh, Ch- uh, when Ch- with Chubb, that his freshman right, year, you have right. Gurley and Sony down, and you're down to just Chubb and 
uh, Brendan Douglas and things like that. I mean, if we ha- like Sony was out this game more or less. I mean, I know he probably could have played if it was a big he game. Could have, yeah, we just felt like. But I mean, say Nick Nick tweaks a hamstring or something like that, and then you're stuck with you know Swift and some of these guys, and if, and then I mean, even Holyfield hasn't had many carries in his career. No, I mean, look, yeah, you're totally right on that. I, I, I understand the value there. I really do. And I, I, I guess I I, I... I mean, I get where you're coming from that it's not an exciting game that you sometimes do go through the motions. But sometimes this experience gained is so much more than a lost game, like a lost sure. opportunity, like you kind of said. Yeah, I mean, there's years, I mean, years back, even before uh, we had the whole girly deal when Chubb had to take over. You remember we had Brendan Douglas and J.J. Green having to carry the, 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 <laughs> yeah, the load force at running back? And we lose at life. Vanderbilt? I I vividly remember that game uh man that was that sucked uh, but yeah so i mean i understand why and i guess i guess i'm somewhat kind of maybe possibly okay with it if all of our rivals are doing it which they are right all of our rivals thing, it's not like we're the only one wasting it I mean, right right so look, that's, that's why who everyone's really playing yeah i don't want and i and i would never want to put us at a competitive disadvantage so as long as all of the other sec teams are doing this and other uh, power five teams are doing this then i i get why we have to do it too because uh, you want to get those guys some experience, get them some reps, you want to rack up wins. I, I get all that. That totally makes sense. But that's why, for me, I, I would be totally in favor of what Nick Saban's proposed for a couple years now of Power 5 teams only playing Power 5 teams or at least playing only um, FBS teams because I just I don't want to see these games anymore. I'm sorry. We only get six of these. Okay, well, At least this year we only get six. Next year we get seven. And we get 12 total regular season games. I Guys, I, I mean it when I say it. I live for these games, for these fall weekends, these fall Saturdays. So for me, it just sucks that at least one in this year's case, and so, but some years it's two or three of them, that we have games like this. And especially when, when you drop the amount of money I do and a lot of other people do on donations and season tickets every year, it's kind of frustrating. It really is. And I want to see good football. But I, again, well, I, mean, I get that. But here's another thing you also got to think about. I, I mean, going back to the reps, think about it. If you play FBS game, I mean, yeah, you should beat some of these teams even though they're FBS. But you're going to have to keep your guys into the third and fourth quarter. Then when you're getting later into the season, your guys are taking a lot more hits and a lot more reps than they're used to. I mean, you got to think about that. When it gets later into the season, guys' bodies are getting really worn down and more injury prone. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I, I totally understand that, man. I do. I just I can't help but feel kind of like just deflated when you walk out of the game like that. But it's it's the thing that just like Kirby, I mean, you wouldn't think of it as a big deal, but it's just the small things like him. He has you know limits on how how, like keeping track of how how far these guys run in practice and keep them certain guys less yards. I mean, even having just going indoors just to get out of the heat. I mean, anything that can save your guys some tread is valuable when it comes to the end of the season. It is. It is. And again, I mean, like I said, if. I get it. If every team in the league is going to do this, I get it. it. I mean, I know. You, I mean, most people that go to these games put money in, but then if you come and if you get to the point where at the end of the season you have these big time games, Tech and other teams all burn at the end of the season, and you got you have some of your best players out. The excitement's gone. I mean, you, and then you end up losing those games. Like, yeah, but I mean, if every that, team that was, that if every team more. only played Power Five teams, then everyone would essentially be in the same boat. So to me, that that's yeah, the solution. I mean, I, no, I get that, but I mean, how much how much would that take out of it, a matchup if both teams are without star players and things like that? Yeah, that's another fair point. I just, I really, in, in my perfect world, and I'm just one idiot, but in my perfect world, we would only play Power 5 teams. Everyone in the Power 5 would only play Power 5 teams. Because that, I mean, just, look, we, I mean, football season flies by so fast. And just the idea of wasting even one weekend, I just, it just sucks. I get why we do it. I understand it. 
it, I just I, I can't help myself I mean, but walk yeah, out of that stadium and be like, really? I just watched this. That in perfect world, but yeah. Eh, as we as everyone's learned, this is an imperfect right. world. Yes, idealism that dies early sometimes. So I get it. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into some actual football talk here. Uh, look, this you know talking about FCS games. This was an FCS opponent, Sanford. You know they're a fairly good FCS team. Um, the quarterback was FC, was uh, the Southern Conference Player of the Year last year. So this is a solid team. Chris Hatcher's got a solid reputation as a coach, going back to when he was at Valdosta State. You know, gave Kirby his his uh, first opportunity to coach there. But I'm not sure how much you can really take away from a game against a team like this. But I, I, I do think there are some things that you can at least. I, I, maybe a few things you can maybe kind of take away, at least some observations. So, Kurt, what did you see out there that you're taking away from this game against Sanford? Um, the biggest thing to me, um, you know, there's good and bad. One, the good, once again, is I think Lorenzo is really raising his level of what he's playing at. I mean, he didn't drop. He, you know, he rose. He, you know, dude's he, a killer, he, man. Like, the he, dude is a yeah, killer. Yeah, that's the occasion in Notre Dame. And, you know, you thought, maybe, you know, maybe it'd be like the old Lorenzo would take a step back, you know, not play right. up to the, right. the level. Like a, like a like one-hit wonder type Stanford. thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just kind of like, you know, a lot of teams have trouble with that where they, you know, they're playing less teams, so they think they can play, you know, not have to play at a higher level. And he came out there playing hard. I mean, he was had a couple of sack, and it was almost a lot of quarterback pressures. Yeah, he affected the quarterback. I mean, he went down with two sacks, but he affected the quarterback on a number of different plays. Uh, so, yeah, Lorenzo, dude, I mean, this is what we've been waiting for. I've been talking about Lorenzo since he came on board, you know, since we got it. I've been saying for years that I thought that he might have the highest ceiling of any player on our team. But he kept kind of letting me down and not kind of and not even really coming close to reaching that. But this year, it seems like he's finally put all together at least through three yeah. games. It's early, but one through three thing, games, I love what I've seen. One thing I gotta say is I'm looking forward to Malcolm Parrish coming back whenever. Hopefully, that is soon. It better be this um, week. Yeah, I'm hoping because you know I gotta say it's a little unimpressed with Tyreek McGee. You know that's again, yeah. I I don't know much you can take away from a game like this, but yeah, there was there were a couple of plays. That McGee got beat on that that were at least moderately and, and concerning. I gotta say the guy, yeah, I mean the guys who get beat on, if you're getting beat by guys like that, I mean, true. Yeah, I think I think we can live with McGee, but I think I mean we can live. But Parrish, but I, I definitely feel more comfortable with Parrish in the game. Yeah, Parrish. Say that. Yeah, he's more experienced. He's a better tackler out there. I, I, at this stage in his career, he's just a better player than McGee is. McGee maybe a year or two down the road will be a better player, but. I don't think where he is right now, he's That's not the one thing I noticed. Ready. I mean, uh, you know, you and I text every day. This is having a little trouble, but I think it was also what coverages we were doing. We but played zone almost the entire game, like all, yeah. almost exclusively. Yeah, Tyreek was just the one that really stood out to me defensively. Yeah, it was, you know, it, offensively there were some people that stood out, but you know, we'll get into it later. Yeah, what's your take on the coverage schemes? Because this, so this is a week after Notre Dame where we were. And I'm not saying we played man the entire game, because we didn't. But we played a lot of man coverage. We we, we had Lorenzo in there. It wasn't necessarily our, our real base package. Lorenzo was kind of playing a hybrid star outside linebacker role. But we had our base personnel on the field the majority of the game. And we manned up on those guys in press coverage on the Equinemius St. Brown, Sanders out there. Uh, we we manned up on those guys. And we, we did it very successfully. More, more so than I thought that we would do. Uh, but this week is a totally different game plan against Sanford, where we went, again, you can't say exclusively, but it was pretty close to exclusively zone coverage. Are you, were you cool with that, or what do we think I mean, I think for that? I am, because the thing is, you know, like you said, it we, worked, played, clearly. we played a majority of man coverage, and in the SEC, you're going to have to, when it gets into conference play, you're going to have to be able to do both. Yeah. 
Yeah, and maybe and it was. I was just trying to, really yeah. Try to clean up on maybe our zone. If you know, it seems like that wasn't a thing we're most comfortable with. So I, I think that was an opportunity for us to try to clean it up and you know just see. I think that was part of that kind of what you're talking about with the value of playing a game like this, where you can get some reps doing some things that you maybe normally wouldn't do. I think that maybe it's partly that. I also think it's just a by virtue of what they like to do offensively, the up tempo, kind of get the ball out of your hands very quickly, or at least they. They had to do that yeah, later on. They tried to go the five-step drops, and we were early. The ball. Yeah, they tried to go some of those five-step drops early, and Lorenzo and company were just harassing them. So they they, went, they had a little more success later in the game, later in the second half, early in the, or later in the first half, early it, second and half. And then a lot of it, too, is we were rotating personnel so yeah. much, too. Yeah. yeah. And and I also think we had a little more respect for their quarterback. Than, I have to say, I was actually really impressed. I mean, the guy, he was throwing some decent balls on the run. I mean, I was actually – Surprised. I mean, you know, for for the what team they are. I mean, I thought he did pretty decent. Yeah, Hodges. I mean, Devlin Hodges. He was like I said, the the uh, Southern Conference, whatever that is good for. But it was the Southern Conference Player of the Year last year. So this guy is legit. Kirby talked about it um, during the week as we were, as we were preparing for uh, for this game. And he's a good player. Uh, he's not an SEC caliber type guy, but when you're comparing him to a Brandon Wimbush, who Wimbush is clearly the better athlete. But right now, Howard say, uh, Hodges like is better than uh, Taylor Wolf or Taylor Lamb. Taylor Lamb, yeah. my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Wolf would be a much cooler name than Lamb, but Taylor Lamb, yeah. yeah. Uh, he he was a much more accomplished passer than than either of those guys, or a much more advanced passer than either of those guys. So maybe it was a little bit of that. We, we didn't want to give him a chance to beat us deep and get behind us on any of those situations and just kind of keep everything in front of us. We felt comfortable with our tackling ability that we could handle him. Maybe it was something along those lines, but whatever the reason, it, it worked fairly well. We held this team under two hundred and fifty again, so. Another good performance overall by the defense. You know, you would like to smother them completely. I'd like, I would love to shut a team out like this, but but uh, I, I thought all in all, defense played fairly well. I mean, the Stars yeah, did I mean, a, a touchdown. They, they really. made some plays when we had to. I mean, we had to fumble on our own. Uh, you know, what twenty or something like that, and they you know end up holding them and blocking the kick. I mean, they, they made some yeah. plays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for me, talking about the defense, one of my takeaways is again, again, you can't go too far in a game like this, but. I'll say this. This game didn't do anything to dampen my enthusiasm for our defense. I think our defense is legit this year. I know we're only three games in, but what I've seen to this point, I I, I absolutely 100% believe in this defense. I believe that this is a championship-caliber defense. I'm not sure our offense is there yet. Uh, In fact, I I have my concerns, some strong concerns there. But defensively, we are a championship-caliber team, and this game did not do anything to dampen that enthusiasm whatsoever. Uh, What about Jake Fromm? You feel any more comfortable with his performance? Maybe a little bit. He had a couple nice throws, but he also had some more freshman mistakes that I guess it was nice to see that it was against a team like Stanford where it won't kill you. But, um, but against better teams, it could hurt you. Yeah, that, that definitely where he was. Was the fumble, I mean, the one where he should have thrown the ball away, he tucked it and ran and got knocked around and fumbled the ball. Fortunately, that would get the block kicked yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, he drive. could have easily dumped that to Nada, could have just put it away. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, you and I were talking to Nicole, that one, the play before that, he probably should. I mean, Nicole probably he de- he definitely should have caught it. It wasn't it wasn't a perfect throw, but you got to make that catch. Yeah, I mean he's got to catch it, but at the same time, uh, it's, when you're going against a team like this, that's not as quick, and you, you see that ball. I thought I, to me, the one thing that struck me is that that throw was a little late, where he's usually one getting rid of it quickly before you know seeing things quicker. Yeah, um, I thought he read that one a little slower. Yeah, I mean, and look, from is he's still growing, but I, I think. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I thought he had some nice throws. I mean, the one that to one to Ridley was really nice throw, very, very nice throw. Um, and others, some of the big throws. throws. I mean, the the, the I mean, uh, the good thing I guess with uh, Godwin, some of those throws, he just got he just got it out of his hands, just 
allowed well, he, the guys put it, to he put plays. it on Terry that in a way that allowed Terry to cut up field and make big gains in, in school. Yeah, I mean, he also didn't get helped. I mean, you know, uh, Warner dropped Warner dropped one extra down third. Uh, yeah, third down conversion. Yep. But didn't me Cole drop another pass too? I want yep, to say yep, he did. So I mean, for me, Fromm was about sixty-one and a half percent completion percentage against this, and again, it's against an FCS opponent. But to me, that's growth. Okay, he seems like he's feeling more comfortable in the system, uh, he, and, and he never seemed like he was overwhelmed. I'm not saying he was, but he seems to feel a little bit more comfortable. You can see the growth. He's not perfect. He's still a true freshman. He's going to make mistakes. When he when he fumbled that ball and tried to tuck it and run, I just buried my head in my hands and shook my head. I knew it wasn't going to kill us in that game, but against Mississippi State next week, that could cost you a game. Absolutely could cost you a game. So I think he's making better decisions, uh, but there's still some decisions out there where he's showing you he's a true freshman. Uh, but I, I still like what I've seen from him. I think that we can win with him, but he's just got to continue to grow. Uh, I will say I still would like to have Eason back as soon as possible. It would be fantastic if he was back for this game. Hopefully we'll hear something from Kirby at his press conference I on Monday. I, I mean, I know it's small, but uh, I, I have to say I can't lie. Some of the games, for part of the game, since, it, you know, as I said, it wasn't the most exciting game. I kind of had my eyes on the sideline just watching Easton move around. Yeah, no game. And not only that, I mean, there was no limp. I mean, I get he no fine. Game. Sometimes they might have a little limp, but he was he was motoring along. Did you see him interact with Fields on the field before the game? Yeah, I gotta say, with Fields, I mean, he was. Ba- I mean, he seemed a little bouncy around him, so yeah. that was a. Intriguing. He looked like he was walking. I mean, walking fine compared to this time last week. He looked significantly better, and that's a pretty good sign when you make that much progress in one week. That's usually that usually bodes pretty well for you getting back on the field quicker. Yeah, especially than the, the no game was the biggest thing because even even a week if it's a week away they say all right don't strain it you know you're still a week away from playing you know just have the cane just to lean on don't put any extra pressure on it but that really wasn't the case. Yeah, and we were and look I, I, this is not coming from a, a a source on the team necessarily but a few guys around the program uh, were saying that there's potentially there's a chance that he could be back or at least cleared to start practicing. Two weeks uh, from the initial injury, which would have been, which basically is today. Uh, so we'll see if that. I mean, I, I think that was very optimistic and probably best case scenario. Maybe that's just a little bit of hopeful exuberance there, a little optimism. But uh, there's a chance we'll find out probably tomorrow uh, if Kirby wants to release, or, or we might not. You know, with Kirby, he probably doesn't want to release that information. We might just find out on Saturday, Saturday evening when we yeah, come I, out there. I'm very likely see him if 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 Easton's playing Saturday. It's gonna be something that. It's gonna. You might hear. Oh, he's practicing by the reporters, like they do. They will. Um, we'll know if he's practicing or not. But is he gonna start? He's gonna play. Yeah, Kirby might try to keep that in the wraps. Yeah, I think he might keep that in the wraps until we come out there Saturday night. So it'll be interesting, man. I'll definitely keep my eye on that very closely as this week progresses. Uh, one more thing for me, and we, I know I'm sure we'll talk about him a little later when we get to some shoutouts. Uh, but I do just want to mention Nick Chubb. I, it was very good to see him get get on track. With his it first hundred yard game, I'll definitely say that. Yeah, it was encouraging. He looked he looked a lot better. Uh, just to get the running game on track again. I know well, FCS team. You don't how much can you really take away from it? I don't know, but just the fact that he looked a little bit better in my in my opinion gets on track. Your first hundred yard the hundred yard game of the season. Uh, it's it's at least encouraging. It's at and least I'll encouraging. say after a chub, you know, this will be my last good thing that I saw from the game. Is I want to say Swift. Um, right. He ended up being, if, if you look at it, really our number two back with Sony being out. So that means more or less, if you're looking at it, he's number three on the depth chart, which is huge for a true freshman yeah. that didn't enroll early. And he has something that, I mean, Holyfield's pretty close in it, but his vision and cutting ability is 
Oh it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's jaw-dropping, to be it's honest. Ridiculous. I mean, that, that big run he had in the first half or yeah. the first quarter where yeah. he had, like, two two different cuts. Whew. I mean, I was, was just nasty, like, wow. man. It was nasty, man. And that's innate. You don't you, – you can help – you can help that – you can enhance that, but you can't teach by that. If you're a coach, no, you can, you can help him improve on that, but you can't teach that. Yeah. So he's just – He's he's the real deal, man, for sure. All right, now we're gonna roll into uh, a couple of different segments. We're, we're gonna go shoutouts and shots fired. So we, we typically give out our game balls, but like we find ourselves giving out like five or six game balls, and that's just like that kind of defeats the purpose of a game ball. So instead of giving out multiple game balls, we're just gonna give out shoutouts to guys that or units or whoever coaches that we thought um, performed well and uh, deserve a little love. So Kurt, who's your first shoutout for the Sanford game? Um, I think it's easily Nick Chubb. Yeah, that's who I've got here, man. Like, like we were just talking about it. We were, I, I, I won't say I've been hard on him, but I was a little critical of him last week because I think that I think justifiably so. When Nick Chubb gets into space, when you get to the second, when the offensive line gets you to the second level, your job as a running back, any running back, is to make them miss at the second level. And Nick used to do that very consistently. But last year was a little bit of an issue, and to this point, this year, I mean, there's like we talked about last week, recapping the Notre Dame game. That run down the side in the first quarter last week, yeah, it was a 20, 25, 30-yard game, whatever. That could have gone the distance. It should have gone well, the distance. you got to make one guy miss. miss. what got me. Yeah, and he's not, so he's not putting moves on anybody. He wasn't cutting properly, maybe the vision, uh, not using stiff arms, not breaking tackles, really shoestring tackles, just getting tripped up, the lack of balance. That's just not Nick Chubb. But he answered those questions on Saturday. Again, an FCS opponent, yes. But still, the fact is he did that. He was running through tackles. He was – his vision was outstanding, making perfect cuts, perfectly timed cuts. Um, just the, the Nick Chubb that we were hopeful that we would see this year after a full year recovered from the injury, that's, to me, this is the best he's looked to this point in the season. And if he can be that guy and continue to build off of this moving forward, then our offense will really start to kind of get into a rhythm. If we get Eason back, then I think our offense could be – I don't think our offense is ever going to catch up to where our defense is this year. But at least I think it could get to a point where we could con- seriously contend for a championship. I wouldn't say we're going to be a favorite, but at least give us a fighting chance to be in contention for a championship this year. So kudos, Nick Chubb. Props to you, man. Uh, really love what you showed out there. Hopefully that can kind of continue on throughout the rest of the season. All right, who else you got? Um, you know, we already mentioned it, Lorenzo Carter. Yeah, Lorenzo, man. Just the guy – through three games, has been a killer. He's been a heat-seeking missile back there, whether he's getting sacks or affecting the quarterback in different ways. And just really what he does, his versatility and what it allows us to play defensively, it is a— Is he was getting reps at inside linebacker on Saturday? Him and DeAndre Walker are both getting reps at inside linebacker. And so that, to me, that was my, going back to what you're talking about, playing a game like this, was that game plan specific for them because you want to get speed on the field? Uh, against a team that likes to throw the ball around, or was that maybe trying to get him some reps there in preparation for playing uh, Mississippi State next week? Because you, yeah, uh, I, think, I think it definitely could be. You know, we'll probably get it later later into the week. When we yeah, we're going to break down game, that game. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil I, I definitely it too can much. See an opportunity, kind of like when uh, Leonard Floyd, Floyd against Auburn a couple years ago. Year. Yep, against yeah. Auburn a couple years ago, we, he comes out playing star. And when you run against a team that that features a lot of a lot of quarterback run. Uh, that, that wants to be a downhill running team, but but does it from a spread look? You want to get your your big guys on the field when they spread you out. It's difficult to do that because you have to account for the passing game if they decide to pass it. So it's valuable to have a guy like Lorenzo or Leonard Floyd a couple years back that can be he's athletic enough to be that hybrid guy where he can, he can function out in the flats playing star and he can also help you against the run, which is really what we did all game long against Notre Dame, and that's one of the main reasons we were able to shut them down. So I would imagine we do we would at least come out trying to utilize 
some look of that sort against Mississippi State to handle Nick Fitzgerald. So I think that might have been part of the reason we saw him at inside linebacker. But yeah, he's just he's playing lights out right now, man, and just got to hope it continues because maybe the working out with Chuck Smith in the offseason really helped. I don't know what it is, but the light has finally gone off for him. He's added some weight. He's kind of kept that weight on, which I think has been really helpful for him. He's always had the athleticism, but his feel for the game has improved. He's bigger, stronger now. He's just he's looking the part. And he's 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 producing right now. Uh, for me, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Terry Godwin. You know, here's another guy that you and I both have been we've been hard on him in the past because you know, he hasn't lived up to the recruiting expectations. Although I think he might have been a little overranked coming out of out of out of high school, but still, Terry Godwin's a really good player. He's a really talented guy. I don't think we've ever utilized him correctly. We've been on record saying that many, many times. I do feel like he's a better fit in the slot, working the middle field. Which, oh, by the way, those two touchdown catches he had, what was he doing? Working the middle of the middle, field. Yeah. Working the middle. Get him, get him the ball in the middle of the field in space and let him do his thing. Make people miss. That's what he does. That's where he's going to be uh, the most valuable player for us. Yes, he can play on the outside, but I just don't think that's the best spot for him. I think he's much more effective working the middle of the field, and he showed that against Sanford more than once. So, but shout out to Terry. He's really turned it on here in his junior year. Uh, right now, he's probably our best receiver. I mean, he's he's our most productive receiver at this point, and, and he he is he is versatile. Like I said, you can work him in the slot. He can play outside. I don't think that's his best spot, but he can do it. Uh, but definitely a shout out to Terry, and uh, really glad to see the kind of year that he's gotten off to here through three games. Uh, who else you got on this? My last one is uh, I'm definitely going to have to go with the man, the myth, the legend, Roquan Smith. I, can we just go ahead and give Roquan Smith a permanent spot on the shout-out list? I mean, it, it really is. I mean, he, he lives on it. I mean, that, that's that, he has to. I mean, Roquan Smith, like I said last week, if Roquan Smith is not an All-American, All-Americans do not exist. The guy is an absolute monster. He's an eraser. He, there's nothing he cannot do. He can run on the sideline. He's instinctive. He plays downhill. He's a great tackler. He can play in space. He can cover. Whatever you want him to do, he can do it. Oh no! By the way, he's a great leader out there too. So, yeah, for me, I'm just gonna go ahead and say Roquan Smith permanent spot on the shout out list for sure, 100. Uh, for me, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give Solomon Kinley a little shout out here. In his first real start. I know he played a good bit last week. Didn't get the start though, but um, gets the start. Did what we expect him to do. Got some movement. Really, the one guy on the line that I, that I will say that got consistent movement. Other guys played well at times. But uh, he got consistent movement up front. He gives us that added beef that we really need. We're we're averaging right at about 300 pounds across the line of scrimmage, and that's just it makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't know if that's big enough to get the job done, especially especially considering who we want to be offensively. And right now, playing a true freshman quarterback, also you still want to lean on the run game. But Kenley gives us at least some size in there, and I would like to see us run behind him quite a bit more. Him and Thomas, I think, might be our best bet to be running behind. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next side here. There's always a lot of good things to talk about, but then there's also a few disappointing things that you see as well in any given game. And I'm going to expand this not to not to include not just our game, certainly our game, but also other things that you see around the league or around the country as well. So, Kurt, who is uh, this? So we're going shots fired here. Who are you firing shots at first? I have to start with Kendall Baker. You know, we God, have really played well the last two games. Yeah. And he looked abysmal. He looked bad. He looked day. very bad. He made me feel dumb because I've been I've been propping him up the first two weeks, right? I, I mean, we both have. I I I've been texting you. I mean, he had been he had been the, the better guy at that, at that left. Yeah, and he position. he he had earned that spot through yeah, two weeks. He earned that spot. But, but there Saturday, were times, I mean, on runs where he was just looking looking around, where I'm like, who are you blocking? 
Well, he yeah, sometimes there's completely blown assignments, which cannot happen. You can get away with it against Sanford, but you can't get away with that against big boys. Um, not getting much movement at all. And also so in pass he protection, getting, getting blown by in pass protection multiple times. Multiple times. So I, I'm hoping it was just a one-week thing. I don't know, man, what was going on there. But it, it was a different Kendall Baker than what I've seen the first two weeks against lesser competition, which is confusing and also concerning at the same time. So I'm hoping it's just a one-week thing. I wouldn't be surprised to see that spot open up for competition again. I mean, I, I do think he earned that. It might be that way all year at that spot, honestly. I think he yeah, earned it through the first two weeks. Maybe, but I'm with you. He definitely earned it. He earned it through the first two weeks. And and maybe the coaches will give him a you know a mulligan here. I don't know. But Pat Allen got some time in there. And I'm not talking in cleanup, dude. I'm talking in, in the second quarter he got in there and got a, a series or two. So I, I don't think they're completely forgetting about Pat Allen. So if Baker puts another performance up like that, he might lose that job, even though he, I do think he earned it through the first two weeks. But he's definitely on my list here. And I'll say offensive line push in general, too. Uh, there are moments – where, where we were fine there, but against Samford, we should be... It's like Nickel State last year. We should be getting movement every single snap. There's no excuse not to. There's just simply no excuse. I know we're undersized and small for the most part along the offensive line, but if we can't move this this unit or a team like Samford, how are you going to move Mississippi State next week? How are you going to stop Jeffrey Simmons? How? You, I, I just can't sit here and say I have any confidence that's going to happen. So it's very concerning for me there, for sure. Uh, all right, so my first shot fired, though... Uh, I'm going to point the gun directly at myself, and I'm going to fire a shot at me and my sleeper pick, the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, really. I, I, I just, guys, I got, I look, you know, whenever you put yourself out there and you make predictions and picks, you're going to get some right, you're going to get some wrong. At least through three weeks, I'm definitely, I was way off on Missouri, and I think it's important to be able to own up to that and admit it. You want to pat yourself on the back if you get it right. When you get it wrong, you got you to gotta man up and own up to it. At least through three weeks, I was not right on Missouri. Uh, I, I thought they'd be three and zero at this point. Right now, they're one and two. And the way they lost Purdue, it just blows my mind. I mean, I knew that defensively they weren't going to be very good. I was just hopeful that they would be able to come, or I thought they might be able to come closer towards the middle because they were just ter- they felt the face of the earth defensively last year. I thought that they would, and that, which was uncharacteristic from previous years. I thought they would come closer towards the, the middle, maybe the, in this ranked in the seventies, seventy five nationally, somewhere around there. But that hasn't been the case. And I, and I thought their offense would always give them a chance. And the first week, that looked great. You know, 800-plus yards, drew a lot of throws for 500-plus yards. Last week against South Carolina, they, they played fine offensively. put up uh, over 450 yards, but not not they just weren't efficient. And then le- this week against Purdue, I don't know what the hell happened. Purdue's terrible, and Purdue just wiped the floor with them. So I, I still think Missouri's offense, by the end of the year, might very well end up being the best in the SEC when it's all said and done if you take the season as, as a whole. But defensively... They're, they're still a train wreck. I don't know how much hope there is there. And it's just a toxic – if you watch them, it's just a toxic environment. There's. Did you see the stadium there? Yeah, I mean, we were laughing. Mean, oh, we yeah, were we, were, we were looking at t- while we were tailgating. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's abysmal. It's terrible. And it, it, they're, they're having a lot of issues university-wide with the whole Black Lives Matter matters thing a couple years back. It's still – I mean, the enrollment's down like 30%. But, I mean, and that's the thing, though. I mean – I was just shocked that you know it wasn't at halftime or anything. That was that was yeah. the beginning of the game. Yeah, that wasn't halftime. That was, and that's just it's it's it sucks for them, man. That's, that's a bad look for the SEC. School. It is, and that's a proud. I mean, that's a proud university. I mean, it's a, it's a proud university. It's a flagship university in that state. And you know when they first got in the league, they supported this team. But it's just a very toxic environment around Columbia, Missouri, right now, and it's a shame because that's a great town. I that's probably my favorite road trip that we go on now that since they've come into the conference. I love going there. It's a long trip, but I love going there. Um, 
but so it's just yeah, I, I gotta I gotta fire that shot at myself to open this up because I was wrong there. I want to own up to that. I think they might end up closer to five to six wins as opposed to nine wins. Like I, and that was kind of a shot in the dark, but I, I was just kind of being hopeful there on on uh, picking them as a sleeper. But that clearly looks like that was a uh, uh, let's just say a not so great pick for sure. All right, who are you shot firing shots at next? Um, Vanderbilt player for you know pretty much calling out Bama. Yeah. If, as if Bama needed any reason to want to beat your behinds. It's a nice way to say it there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What are you thinking, dude? Like, I know I you want to. You just beat Kansas what State. I mean, are they're going to be thinking? a above average. Oh, you beat Kansas 12. State at home 14 to 7. Oh, you're big and bad now. I mean, that's a nice win for Vandy. Don't get me wrong. It's a nice win for Vandy. We both picked them to win that game. It's a nice win for them. But, okay, you beat, Vandy, or you beat Kansas State at home by a touchdown, and that means you're ready to take on Bama? Oh, uh, okay. Sure. Cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I think Vanderbilt. You, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. I think they can hang with Bama for a quarter, maybe a half. They're not going to score on Bama, but defensively, they're they're well they're well coached. They're disciplined. They play hard. They have some good players on that side of the ball. And Bama, I'm not convinced is a juggernaut offensively yet either. They have clearly better players than Vanderbilt has, but I think they can they can hold that Bama offense in check for maybe a quarter or a half or so. But Bama's just too good, man. They're going to pull away in that game. And like, and just to f- add fuel to the fire for Bama, come on. Really? Come on. Let's not poke the monster. Uh, all right, for me, the next one here is uh, I'm going to go with our team. And I and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I just want to mention it again. Miko Hardman, okay, Miko, is probably, and I, actually I think definitely the most electric player we have on offense. Would you disagree with me on that? In terms of his athleticism yeah. and what he brings to the table? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, athletically, he's the most electric player we have on offense. But dude, you have got to catch the football. I know it wasn't a perfect pass, but you've got. It, but you got to catch that ball. And there's still, I'm going back. There's no excuse to drop that ball at Notre Dame, and that's a potentially game-changing drop. You have to make those plays against good teams. If we want to beat good teams, if we truly want to contend for championships, our most electric player has to make those plays. And I know he's still a transitioning wide receiver. He's never really played, played the position in his life before spring. Uh, he was a he was a he was an electric offensive player in high school, but he played quarterback. He took the snap from the center and just made stuff happen. Just ran around the field. So playing receivers new to him, but still, if you're gonna play the position, dude, you gotta make catches. You gotta make catches. And he showed he could do it. And that catch that got his foot down the end zone for the touchdown. That's a great play. That was a great play. But you just gotta be more consistent. When the plays are there to be made, you gotta help your quarterback out, especially a young quarterback like Jay Fromm. You gotta make those plays. Just gotta make them. Gotta make them. All right. What about you? Got any more any more shots to fire? Um, not at the moment. I think I could easily take one at South Carolina, but... Oh, oh, South Carolina. We'll get to that game here in a second. I got one more I'm going to throw out to you here, and this is not a Georgia thing. Uh, And I tweeted about this uh, while I was watching the game. The Gator Chomp, man. And I, I, during our tailgate, man, I went on a tirade. Everyone's looking like I was insane. I'm so tired of it, man. I'm tired of SEC officials flagging Florida's opponents for doing the Gator Chomp in a mocking way, okay? If you want to flag him for that, fine. Maybe you probably should. But you can't flag Florida's opponents for doing that and not flag Florida when they do the same exact thing. I And I'm not saying they've never been flagged for it. I'm just saying I've never seen them get flagged for it. When they pull up the Gator Chomp, when Florida does it themselves, I've never seen them get flagged for it. They might have at some point. I haven't seen I don't watch every single game they play, but I watch a lot of their games. I've never seen them get flagged for it. So if you're going to flag John Kelly for doing the Gator Chomp after scoring a touchdown... You better flag Florida every single time they do it too. This double standard is absurd. It's ridiculous, and it has to stop. It's just, it's just stupid. Absolutely stupid. I know, I know. I don't know why I'm getting so worked about this, but it just pisses me off. I've seen Florida do it too many times, and 
and get away with it with no penalties whatsoever. As soon as any opponent does it, oop, 15 yards. And that could have changed that game. Luckily for Tennessee, it didn't. They obviously ended up losing the game. Uh, but that could have cost them the game. Because Florida gets a uh, really good field position. They, they, get the field, they get the ball in plus territory after that because they have to move the kick back 15 yards. And that could have changed the game. Uh, so that just, to me, that just can't happen. Can't happen. Just ridiculous. All right, let's uh, move on here. This is a new segment that we're going to introduce also. We're going to go around the SEC a little bit. We're not going to spend a ton of time on these other teams. But uh, obviously this is a Georgia podcast. But all of these games, especially the SEC East contest, these are games that definitely impact us. And these are teams that we're going to be playing down the road. So we're going to take a little bit of a look around the SEC here. And we're going to start with that Florida-Tennessee game, Kurt. So we, we watched that game together at our tailgate on Saturday. What was your take on that game? What did you take away from watching those team te- those two teams go toe to toe? Um, it was ugly. It was it was awful. It was ridiculous. I mean, the fact that it ended up twenty six twenty about midway through the third quarter, I would have never told you it would have been twenty six twenty. Well, was, I have to say, more than anything, Florida's offense is terrible. Yeah, they scored the game winner at the end, but they had their defense is not. All right, their defense was making plays, but it's not because their defense is dominant, though, at the same time. Well, defense is making plays because Tennessee's offense is averages grits, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they had, haven't had a rushing touchdown since they played us last year. Yeah, um, yeah go on. They us. have more defensive touchdowns than offensive touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I think Florida's – I'll say this again. I said in the preseason, I, did, I never thought Florida's defense was going to fall off the face of the earth this year. But they were going to clearly take a step back, losing all the production they lost last year from last year's team. And through, well, they play on two games. Through two games, I'm sticking by that statement. They're not bad defensively. They're pretty good defensively. But they're not as good as they have been. They're not a dominant unit. They're they're pretty solid. They're, they're, they're getting gassed by the run. That's, yeah. And that's the shocking thing the most. Absolutely. And that hasn't happened in the past couple years with Florida. So, yeah, they're they're still pretty good defensively. They have some good players over there. Uh uh, Jabari Zunaga is, a, is an electric player off the edge. I mean, he's, he's probably their best defensive player right now. CC Jefferson is a good player, too. Uh, I, I don't, for me, the biggest weakness in that team is up the middle. They don't have game change at defensive tackle. Losing Caleb Brentley was big. Uh, linebackers, David Reese, Vosan Joseph, they're okay. They're not great. Uh, in the secondary, they got some good players back there. Dude Dawson's pretty good. Chauncey Gardner's pretty good. Although Chauncey Gardner's a straight punk, but he's a pretty good player. But they're not, they're not as good as it had been. It's not Quincy Wilson. It's not Jalen Tabor out there. You don't have those guys. They're pretty good back there, but they're not at that level. So, yeah, they're still a pretty good team. They're still a pretty good defense. But they're, they're definitely taking a step back. Uh, my, my take on that game watching it is simply this. If we don't win the East this year, we only have ourselves to blame. We only have ourselves to blame. Because most people probably say those are the two top contenders that we have to face here for the East title this year. You can maybe throw South Carolina in there as well. We'll get to them in a little bit. But if those are our top two Contenders for the East, if we don't win the East this year, we can only blame ourselves. There's just no excuse for not winning. I mean, to me, both those teams, Florida and Tennessee, they are only okay. They're pretty good teams. They're pretty good. And they have enough players to beat us if they bring their A game on any given week and we bring maybe a C-level or B-minus game. Sure, they could beat us. They have enough players. I mean, uh, Marquez Callaway is really good for Tennessee. John Kelly is a stud. Okay, John Kelly is really good. I, I wasn't... Sure, what they had in him is he, you know, he didn't play a ton last year. Uh, when uh, Jalen Hurd left the team, he he got a few more carries. That was still Alvin Kamara uh, as a feature back there. So coming this year, I thought he was pretty good, but I wasn't sure he was a, a true feature back. That question's already been answered. This guy's a true feature back. He's got great versatility. He's got great feet in the hole. He can make you miss. He's great in space. He he's not a huge guy, but he runs with deceptive power. He'll lower that shoulder and, and play with good leverage. Uh, just a really really good player. Great out of the backfield. 
completely filling in for Alvin Kamara. So he's a really good player. So these they have guys, but they both those teams have still have so many holes that we absolutely should beat both those teams. Would you agree with that at this point? Uh, yeah. Even though we have to go to Knoxville, I get it. And we've had troubles in in, in, in uh, Jacksonville, I get it. We have a better roster than both those teams by a pretty good margin. We absolutely should win that game or both those games. All right, let's move on to the next one here. It's a game that I uh, had to end up watching today. I was recording this Sunday. I watched it Sunday. I came home and watched the Mississippi State LSU game. I had to record that one and watch Kentucky-South Carolina uh, this afternoon. Uh, I, I was surprised, man. I, honestly, I thought South Carolina would probably win this football game. Kentucky did not look good at all over the first two games against Eastern Kentucky and Southern Miss. They, um, Like we said on our show last week when we were doing our picks, they only outgained those two teams by a total of eight yards. So South Carolina at home, home opener, night game. I thought this would definitely lean to Gamecocks' favor, but I was wrong. So what did you take away from that matchup? Um, the biggest thing that, you know, like we said, they've been outgained and it finally came back to get them. The other aspects of the game where they have been winning, they didn't win. That was the difference. Yeah, so, you know, we mentioned that I, I picked South Carolina to win this game, but I did kind of throw a disclaimer out there that, yeah, I think they're going to beat Kentucky, but I'm not sure they're as good as a lot of people are propping them up as being. Because there were people – Last week we were talking about they might be the favorite of the SECs. They might be Georgia's biggest competition. I was like, oh, okay, okay, let's hold on here. South Carolina was being outgained by 160 yards through their first two games. Yes, to their credit, they were 2-0. and But they won those two games despite being outgained by 160 yards a game because they played really good on special teams, had two kickoff returns for a touchdown, forced turnovers, and capitalized on those turnovers, and also played really good red zone defense, forced teams to kick field goals in the red zone. And you can win a couple games doing that. But you can't count on doing that week in and week out. And it came back to bite them against against Kentucky. Uh, they didn't. They played okay red zone defense. They didn't force a lot. They had one turnover. They forced didn't force a lot of turnovers. They didn't have outstanding special teams played to get those touchdowns or great field position really uh, on any returns, whether it's punt or kick. Debo Samuel goes out, and that that kind of stifled that offense to a degree late in the game. Kentucky played pretty well. So to me, what I'm taking away from this game is I still think South Carolina is a pretty good team. And I think they're definitely ahead of schedule where most people expect them to be in year two under Will Muschamp. And they have some really scary pieces offensively. Debo Samuel when healthy is a really good player. Jake Bentley, uh, you and I were talking about him. He, he always puts up really good completion percentage numbers. But why is that? Thinking dumb. Right. This, they play a control offense. They don't take a ton of shots down the field. They, they get the ball out of his hands quickly, let his playmakers make plays in space. And so it's easy. It's a lot of easy throws. And he, I think he had like 14, 15 straight completions at one point in that game. Because they're easy throws, easy reads. They don't take a ton of shots down the field. So like when guys like Greg McElroy compare uh, Bentley to a guy like Eason, it's apples and oranges. They're two totally different offenses. We want to run the football, go play action, take shots vertically down the field. Those are just lower percentage throws. Bentley just gets a lot of high percentage throws. And he's a good player, but he also has some accuracy issues. And I thought Jordan Rodgers calling that game did a really good job pointing out some of those issues uh, that, that the naked eye might not pick up on. Don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but I'm not sure that he's an All-American or All-SEC caliber player quite yet. But they still have some good players. Hayden Hurst, I still say, is probably the best tight end in the league, at least receiving threat. But they still have more than a few holes on that roster, and they're not ready to compete for an SEC East championship, let alone an SEC title at this point. So that's my takeaway from that, from that game. And then the last one we're going to talk about here, because we played them next week, and we'll definitely get into Mississippi State a lot this week. We're breaking them down. But, Kurt, when you watch that Mississippi State-LSU game in Startville Saturday night, what did you take away from that one? Uh, the biggest thing is that the score is a little deceiving. Um, 
Yeah, it ended well, up being 37-7 in case you guys didn't see that one. Yeah, I think it's very deceiving the fact that I think Mississippi State's going to be a very solid team. It's going to be a very tough tough game, and it's going to it's gonna be a, a you know drag-out SEC matchup. But LSU is not what everyone thought they were and, and thought he was. He's not a great coach. No. What? Everyone thought that he was going to be so different. He, he, he is who he is. I mean, people have just made excuses for him nonstop. Absolutely. And their offense, okay, why do they fire less miles? Because their offense couldn't move the football, right? They looked antiquated back there. And I, I guess they they brought a few wrinkles to the offense here with Matt Canada. But I said in the offseason, I, and this is why I wasn't that high on LSU, I had them pick fourth in the, in the division in the West because I'm not convinced Matt Canada's the answer as an offensive coordinator. Yes, he had a good year last year with Pitt, but he essentially got fired from NC State, and that's why he ended up at Pitt. And he had an NFL quarterback in Jacoby Brissett there. So I, I don't know if he's the answer. And Mississippi State, who's got some good players defensively. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Leo Lewis is really good. Uh, they got some guys out there that are going to give us some issues. They're going to give us some issues. And we'll talk about them later in the week. But they held LSU to 270 yards. And that's a, that's a pretty good Mississippi State defense, but not a dominant Mississippi State defense. And, I, and like we said in the preseason, Denny Etling is not the answer. I cannot be high on LSU if Denny Etling is your quarterback. Guy threw for 137 yards last night. 13 and 29, 4.7 yards per pass. Just that's not going to get it done. But on the Mississippi State side, are you a little bit more? I mean, so it's a 30 point win, right? I know a lot of fans are going to see that and say, "Whoa, my God, we're going to be in trouble." Are you leaning that way, or like you said, oh, it- I think it's going to be a really tough game. But I have to say, the one thing is, we all saw what um, Nick Fitzgerald did. But the thing is, I think we we played Wim- uh, Wim- uh, Wow Wimbush, yeah. Wimbush, yeah, well, I thought I was right. Yeah. And every quarterback we've played so far has been somewhat mobile. And Wimbush, I mean, look what he hit Boston College, 200 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Um, it's not like we haven't faced someone of this. I mean, I know he's a better passer, but it's not like we haven't faced a mobile threat to where we've had to change up our schemes. Yeah, it's a different kind of threat uh, from the quarterback position. He runs the ball, obviously, like Wimbush does at Notre Dame, but they're different style dual threat guys. Where, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that, but, but I think the one thing, I mean, I feel a little comfortable in the fact that we at least have, we have an idea of what we want to do. Absolutely, sure, at least, and we, we have some experience defending a, a, a dual threat quarterback, so I think that's definitely going to be beneficial to us. I'll say this, man, uh, Mississippi State, their defensive line, particularly Jeffrey Simmons, who is a woman beater, uh, but, of course, since he's good at football, he's allowed to stay on that team, whatever. Uh, but regardless of what he's on off the field, the guy is a hell of a football player, and he is going to give us fits. He is going to give us fits on the interior. They line him up in a zero technique a lot right there on the nose. They'll move him around a little bit. He'll play a one. Sometimes they'll put him in a three technique. But our offensively, for me, my biggest concern, I think the biggest vulnerability we have offensively is the interior of our offensive line. I think our tackles are fine. I'm good with Andrew Thomas. I know he's young, but I think he's done a, a good job there. I think Isaiah Wynn's been our most consistent lineman at this point in the year. But I'm concerned about the interior of our offensive line with Gilliard, specifically Gilliard, and whoever's manning left guard, whether it's uh, Baker, uh, especially after this week, Allen, uh, maybe even Dyshawn Sims. That concerns me because Jeffrey Simmons is going to eat them alive if we aren't ready to play. So, that's something that we got, we got to watch here. He he definitely had a big game against LSU, but we'll definitely get into this matchup a lot more as the week progresses. Uh, but it is, I, I will say, it's a little eye-opening to watch how they beat LSU. Um, I, I, I'm with you. The score is a little bit deceiving there. They kind of stacked on some points late. But 
they 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 flat out beat LSU. It wasn't a, it wasn't an almost win. It wasn't like a, a game where they won, but you maybe shouldn't have won that game. Kind of sneak a, you kind of sneak a win at home against a, a good opponent like that. They flat out beat LSU. Mississippi State's a pretty good football team, so we're gonna have to be ready Saturday night for sure, for sure. All right, anything else that we didn't touch on around the ICC that you think worth mentioning here? No. All right, man, I'm with you, dude. All right, well, guys, we really appreciate you checking in to the show here again. We're getting new listeners, like we said, each and every week. So we definitely appreciate all you guys that have been loyal listeners, been on the on the bandwagon here for a long time. All you guys checking out the show for the first time here, we really appreciate you listening. If you guys ever have any questions, just want to talk ball, definitely interact with us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. You can hit us up on Facebook, the Glory UGA podcast Facebook page, and also email us, Podcast at gmail.com. So make sure definitely to check back with us later this week. This week we're going to have three shows this week we're gonna have a mailbag show or we're gonna try to do a weekly mailbag show where you guys ask questions about the previous week's game and also the game that's coming up in this case ask questions about the Sanford game and looking forward to the Mississippi State game also you can just throw out observations too it doesn't have to be questions you can tell us what you think give us your ideas and we'll talk about that on the show as well so definitely get those questions and observations uh, comments into us uh, on Twitter at Gloria underscore UGA and then later in the week we'll definitely have our game preview we, we, where we'll, we're gonna try our goal every week is to give you the most in-depth analysis and preview of the upcoming game that you'll find anywhere. I don't know if we've always achieved that, but that's definitely the goal. So for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, go dogs.